Please join with me in prayer. Father, as your word has been read and as I endeavor to uh, proclaim it faithfully, I pray that Jesus Christ would be lifted up even as we just sang and that he would draw all our hearts closer and closer to him. We ask in his name, amen. In a previous church, there was a mom who swept and mopped her kitchen three times a day after every meal. She could not leave the mopping undone. What if some germ was left behind that found its way to her children who might be crawling around on the floor? Why would she feel the need to be so obsessive about her kitchen floor? A psychologist might diagnose her as having OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. She and I talked several times about her compulsion to clean her kitchen floor. And as I asked different questions, it became clear to me that she was more worried about the well-being and safety of her children than she was the bacteria on her kitchen floor. Uh, She could not control the germs outside her home. She couldn't control the germs at church uh, when they came. But she could control, to some extent, the germs in her kitchen. In other words, it, it wasn't about the germs at all. It was about her sense of control. She wanted her children to be kept free from any harm. And so removing germs from her kitchen three times a day gave her a sense of control over her children's well-being. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a clean kitchen. uh, But what she was doing was trying to step in and do God's job for him. In her heart, she wanted to protect her children because she couldn't trust God to do it. She, she trusted in the Lord. She was Christian. She believed in the sovereignty of God. But in this practical area, when it came to her children, she really so badly wanted them to be kept safe that she felt like she, felt like, uh, she had to do Um, her extra. Uh, Her problem was that she wasn't omnipotent. Um, You know, beyond the typical things we all do to protect our children, you know, making sure that our children are in the proper uh, car seat, uh, child-proofing our home, stuff like that. Uh, Beyond that, There was little more that she could do. But I think one day, as she's wondering, how can I protect my children? The thought went through her head, what if my children get some kind of bacteria because I haven't done what I could have done? And so she began to sweep and mop her kitchen floor excessively. She and I talked about her faith. We also talked about the goodness, power, and love of God. But the turning point came when I offered to her a book about God. And uh, the reason I did this is I wanted to help her remember that God was always present in her life. That God was present 
after the meals, that God was present while her children were crawling around on the kitchen floor, that God was present in her life and in her children's life. And so uh, her assignment was every time she was tempted to, to sweep and mop the kitchen more than once a day, she was to read the book instead. And through this, she learned to trust in God. And the need to compulsively mop the floor faded away. In fact, after uh, she had grown and her trust in the Lord no longer needed to mop the floor, all those times a day she returned the book to me, I, I still crack up when I pick up that book because she wrote on every page. I mean, she, she might as well have kept the book. Um, sometimes on the pages there were prayers that she would write out to God. Other times there were journals uh, as she struggled to entrust her children's safety and well-being to God. I tell that story because in our culture, we like to think that there are areas of our, our life that we can actually control. Some people try to control other people with outbursts of anger. Others try and control time with excessive planning. And others try and control their circumstances by obsessively worrying about what will happen tomorrow. We have just enough affluence in our culture and in our country to believe that we can actually reach out and grasp reality and shape it and turn it according to our will. Solomon wants us to learn that only God is in control. Solomon doesn't just come out and tell us this in a flat, uh, sterile statement as I am doing, saying to you, God is in control, you're not. Rather, uh, he makes his point using his unique style in a way that makes us wrestle with our own lack of control. He wants us to understand that we are acting foolishly when we try and bring things under our control that are not really under our control. So in verse 16, Solomon tells us again, as he has told us many times uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, and if you're joining, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we've been moving through the book of Ecclesiastes passage by passage. And so he's told us many times that he applied his heart to know wisdom. Here, however, instead of examining the purpose of life or examining how we should live on earth, he wants to understand how the world works. If we can understand how the world works, then we can possibly exercise control over it. But as he examined this, all he found is that no matter how hard we try and figure out exactly how the world works, all we do is needlessly lose sleep trying to figure it out. Because God alone is the author of how our world works. He alone is in control. No matter how much we may toil in seeking out these answers, to seeking out what's going to happen tomorrow, to seeking out why things happen the way they do, we will never find it out. 
So listen to him in verses 16 and 17. He says, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out, even though a wise man claims to know. He cannot find it out. It's key here in verse um, verse 17 that he, he mentions that he saw all the work of God. And what he means by this is uh, when he saw all the work of God, he was speaking of God's most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. The Bible consistently affirms that God is absolutely in control of everything that that has happened or will happen in the whole history of the universe. Jesus told his his disciples, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am in control of the insignificant sparrow, and I am in control of the very significant disciple who I love. The Apostle Paul essentially told the same thing to the Ephesians. He said, In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out all things according to the counsel of His will. In Psalm 135, the psalmist says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Whatever He pleases, He does. Jeremiah asks rhetorically in the book of Lamentations, he says, Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and and bad come? And we could go on and on and on listing Scripture after Scripture. The Bible consistently affirms that God is in control of everything. God, from eternity past, has planned and ordained every word, every action, every thought, even every desire of every human being that has ever lived on earth, including your words, your actions, your thoughts, your desires. He has done so according to His eternal goodness and wisdom. And He has done so without doing violence to the will of His creatures. God is in control completely. And we are free moral creatures. You say, how does that, how does that happen? That doesn't fit between my ears. If God's in control, then we're robots. For us not to be robots, God can't be in control. It's the way the, the finite human reasoning goes. 
The thing is, God is bigger than us. There are things about Him that we simply will not be able to understand. How He can be sovereignly in control and we be free uh, moral creatures doesn't make sense to us. It makes sense to God. He affirms both of those truths, even in the same sentence. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling in Philippians chapter uh, 2, verse 12. But the sentence continues in verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do, according to His good purpose. 100%, 100%, with God's 100% having the priority. God is greater than our ability to conceive with our finite minds. Or as Dr. Cravendam used to say when uh, I was his student, um, the, the infinite God will not fit in our pea brains. It will cause our brains to explode if we try and fit him in there. But he fits very nicely into the heart by faith. In chapter 9, Solomon is continuing to ponder God's absolute control. And so what he does here is he brings up several implications of God's sovereignty. In verse 1, he brings up a very positive implication. Ah, We love this implication. I love this implication. Because God is in control, he says, then the righteous and the wise, along with their deeds or their actions, are in the hand of Almighty God. What a wonderful perspective for us as we live our lives. Your entire existence is lived within the hand of Almighty God who loves you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross in your stead. All your burdens, all your trials, all your cares fit easily in His hand. Everything and everyone that concerns you is God's concern as well because He loves you. Nothing can happen to you except that, that, it, that it be ordered by God's all-loving, all-wise, and ever-good providence. So when we're going through a trial, what we typically do is we focus in on that big, bad, unpleasant circumstance that we are living in. You know, it's okay for us to acknowledge the trials, but when we fixate on it, that's when it becomes a problem. Because when we fixate on our, our difficulties and our burdens and our cares, those difficulties begin to grow in our perspective because that's all we're seeing. It fills our whole perspective and it seems like it's a, a burden or a care or a trial that we'll never be able to climb over or go around. It seems so big sometimes that we think we'll never escape. What I want to encourage you to do when you're in the midst of those trials, 
Don't fixate on the trial. Look above the trial. Look to God. Remember, He is in control. Recall His love for you. And I guarantee you, when you look above your trial, and you look to Him who has numbered every hair on your head because He loves you so much, your trial will begin to shrink significantly. Because your trial, instead of filling your perspective, will shrink down and you'll remember that that trial, along with your entire existence, is in the hand of Almighty God who loves you. On a side note, a non-Christian does not have that same assurance. Their lives are lived under God's awful judgment. They are without God. They are living their lives without God. So why should they expect any blessing from God? Maybe God will be gracious to them, but they shouldn't expect it. All they should expect is His wrath and judgment unless they look to the Lord Jesus Christ and cry out to Him for mercy. Many Christians believe that a life lived in God's hands will guarantee them happiness, healthiness, and a long life. That's a mistaken notion. We are mistaken if we think that being a Christian isolates us from being shot by a crazy teenager in our school or... Being a Christian protects us from having a bridge fall on us while we're sitting at a red light. Solomon says that the same events that can happen to a Christian or to a non-Christian can also happen to a Christian. Listen to him closely in verses 2 and 3. He says, It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he, he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that has been done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Remember in the Gospels, when the Lord Jesus um, well, the, uh, the Tower of Siloam had fallen on a bunch of people. And they came to the Lord Jesus and they said, were these people worse than everybody else because this tower fell on them? He said, no. Rather, if you don't repent, <laughs> uh, judgment will come to you as well. In other words, just because something bad happens to someone or someone falls under a disease or has an accident, doesn't mean that they are being punished by God. simply means in God's good, wise, and loving providence, He has caused this to happen in this person's life. Or even more perplexing, oftentimes the wicked thrive while the righteous suffer. 
And in fact, it might even be that the righteous are suffering because the wicked are pressing and are taking advantage of them. It's one of the reasons why I had us read Psalm 73 this morning for our confession of sin. As a recognition that uh, the wicked oftentimes do thrive while believers suffer at their hands. And we should not think that this means that God is asleep at the wheel or that God doesn't love us. Solomon's point here is not intended to cause us to struggle in our faith as the psalmist in Psalm 73 struggled in his faith in the first half of of Psalm 73, but rather just the opposite. What Solomon is doing is he is illustrating for us uh, just how without control we really are. Anything, in his very unique way of putting it, could happen to us at any time. Being a Christian is not going to prevent you from dying later today. Being a Christian is not going to guard you from ever having any financial hardship uh, fall upon your life. Being a Christian is not any kind of guarantee that bad things won't happen to you. Being a Christian does not give us a certainty of happiness, healthiness, or even a long life. We can only entrust ourselves to Him who determines determines our moment and eternity is the uh, unspoken uh, implication of what Solomon wants us to understand. If you're not in control, you need to trust yourself to the One who is in control and who loves you deeply. Does that sound unfair? That God is going to treat the righteous and the wicked in a similar fashion at different times in their life? You love God, and the non-Christians, well, they don't love God. Therefore, God should treat you differently when it comes to your physical well-being. We often, um, we often uh, reason And at the end of verse 3, Solomon gives us a not-so-gentle reminder that God owes us nothing. At the end of the day, we are sinners, and all of God's blessings are undeserved gifts of His grace. Uh, In the second half of uh, verse 3, Also, the hearts of children of man are full of evil and madness, and, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. Let me ask you, what is your evaluation of yourself? What is the Bible's evaluation of who you are? Even at our best, we're still sinners. We're born into this world as sinners. We sin every day of our life. And so we remain sinners. God doesn't owe us anything. And so, and in fact, uh, He brings up the, the great equalizer, His favorite equalizer in the book of Ecclesiastes. He, he brings up death. 
He knows that the wages of sin is death. Therefore, He knows because all have sinned, all will die. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, death awaits you. Whether you're righteous or wicked, all will die. This is a real downer of a passage. Uh, Where's the hope? Well, he offers us some hope in verse 4. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. (laughs) Well, okay, that's hope, I suppose. (laughs) Dogs were the worst of society in the ancient Near East. They were not the household pets that we have today. You know, lions, they were the strong, regal animals of the day. Uh, King David was the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so um, Solomon is saying here, it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. Like I said, things have changed a bit uh, in our day and age. We have a hard time understanding that the dogs were the worst of society, that they, that they were scavengers and dirty. You know, I got up this morning as I'm leaving the house and walking out of my bedroom Maxie, our dog, had crawled up into my space, had worked her way up underneath the covers. Her head is looking out, and I could have swore she stuck her tongue out at me. But his point is that no matter how bad off your circumstances, as long as you are not dead, you have hope. Hope for what? If you're not dead today, you're going to be dead eventually. (laughs) Um, He has told us that many times. Well, where is the hope? The hope is found in fleeing to God to entrust yourself into His hands. Let me ask you, have you done that? Do you do that every day? Are you out, or, or are you out there chasing after wind, trying to control the circumstances of your life? Are you trying to take hold of reality and bend it to your will? If that is your your game plan for being successful at life, it will end badly. Seek God. Entrust yourself to Him. Now, when you belong to God, even your death is in His hands. And not just the circumstances of your death, but death itself is in His hands. The sting of death, God has removed if you are in His hands. That's why He sent Jesus Christ here to earth. Jesus Christ came here to earth, took on flesh to become a human being just as we are human beings, while also remaining Almighty God in order that He might take our sting in His body on the tree. He went to the cross. He experienced death in our stead. The wages of sin is death. Christ received in His body the wages for our sin. He died in our place. Since we're talking about God's hands, and we're talking about our sin and we're talking about death sting, I thought it would be appropriate to close with an illustration 
that many of you have probably heard before if you have uh, attended a funeral that I've conducted. Uh, oftentimes, I have found it very helpful to talk about, to use this illustration to explain uh, what happens, um, what has happened in Christ, and why we can have great hope, certain hope, even though uh, we have uh, just lost a loved one. And the illustration goes like this. There was a uh, young boy went to visit his uh, grandfather out in the country. His grandfather was a farmer, had an old pickup truck, and uh, no air conditioning in the truck, so it was hot, the windows are down, and the, the grandfather's driving along with the grandson, and all of a sudden, a wasp flies into the truck. The grandson, being young, doesn't like wasps, but also he is deathly allergic to the sting. And so, uh, the, the grandson begins squirming in his seat, trying to get away from the wasp. He's crying out. And the grandfather calmly reaches over and grasps the wasp out of the air and holds it there for a few moments. And then, unimaginably, he opens his hand and lets the wasp uh, fly away. And the son, the grandson began squirming in his seat again. Uh, granddad, granddad, help! And what uh, the granddad does is holds out his hand. He says, look at my hand. What do you see? And the grandson sees a, a, uh, a whelp beginning to rise. He said, look closer inside the whelp. What do you see? I see a little black spot. The grandfather says, that black spot is the stinger. You no longer have to fear that wasp. The Lord Jesus Christ came here to earth. He took the sting of death in our place. The sting of death was inserted into Christ's side, um, so to speak. And it is no longer there to sting us. Where's the hope? The hope is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. God so loved us that He sent His Son. God so loved us that He has promised to work all things together for our good. God so loved us that He sent His Son to take the sting in our place that we might have life eternally. That we might have fellowship with God Almighty that we may rest each day in the palm of God's almighty hands. Let's pray together. Almighty God, forgive us for the way that we worry and the way that we try to take um, Your place, step in where uh, only You belong, and try to the course of our life um, in an obsessive, um, self-centered way rather than, than entrusting ourselves to You. Father, I pray that if there be any here who struggle to uh, trust You through the, the uh, trials of life, or if there are any here who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, Father, um, work in them 
And Lord, work in us all because we need you and we love you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.